Hi, my name is Tim, and this is Presence Practice. In this podcast, our goal is to give you some practical ways to experience and grow in the presence of God. The pandemic has forever changed our lives in both good ways, as well as some really hard ways, too. For many of us, we've learned how chaotic our lives have become, and we're now trying to navigate this new normal. As a result, many of us have felt our spiritual lives dry up, and we feel disconnected from God and those around us. In this podcast, we will embrace and try on new tools to help us unplug and grow more rooted in our faith in Jesus. We're going to try new things together in the hopes of finding things that give us both life and hope. Together, we'll strive to soak in God's presence and be filled with His joy and His peace. I am so excited for you to join me as we navigate this journey together. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. All right, welcome to Presence Practice. My name is Tim Nussbaumer, and with me today is a very special guest. Um, I will tell anyone that will listen that without a doubt, the person that has mentored me the most in the last decade has been Mark Mark McGrath. So for those that are part of our church, anything good from me, Mark gets the credit. (laughs) I don't think so. Mark also gets the credit. Well, that's probably more likely the case. (laughs) (laughs) No, I knew I wanted him as my first guest. Um, he is full of wisdom, and I don't know many people that practice the presence of God like Mark does. So, Mark, before we dig in, could you just give us a little bit about yourself, like what you do, um, maybe even sure. what you're up to these days, how the pandemic has treated you as well? Sure. Thanks, Tim. For those of you who don't know me, again, my name is Mark McGrath. I live in North Brunswick. Uh, I have been married to the same woman for 47 years uh, in just a few days. It must be our 47th anniversary. Uh, We have three grown children and seven grandchildren. So I'm an old guy. I've been (laughs) around. Uh, I started my first church. I call it as an adult because I started one in college. But I started one as an adult in the early 70s and have been involved in church starting really in very different expressions pretty much since then, although I stopped officially pastoring in the year 2000. So it's now been 21 years that I have not been a pastor. Uh, In that time, I have run a business uh, communicating, teaching communication skills to scientific and medical professionals and uh, kept my involvement as much as possible in church life. Although I feel like at times I have been more successful and other times much less successful at at keeping connected. But at this moment in time, the pandemic has still really devastated my business. And I'm taking that as a kind of retirement that is somewhat forced upon me. Right, right. And I am exploring what it means to start small communities of believers who want to love one another and serve their community. So right now we're in the early, very, very early stages of starting uh, a small group of believers who are exploring what it means to follow Jesus Christ in the context of a small community. So Uh, that's what Chris and I, my wife, are doing, and we're very excited about it, Tim. 
I love it. And Mark, I know this about you, even though you may not have officially had a pastoral position at it, I'm using air quotes, church, you are still and have always been a pastor. You've always had people under you that you pastor. And what you're doing now is still an expression of the kingdom of God, whether we call it a church or not, it, it kind of is. And we get hung up on that technical terms. But yeah, thanks, Tim. I think you're right. I think we lack, we suffer from a lack of clarity uh, in the Western Christianity about what is a church supposed to be. And we often, even though we say it's not just a meeting, we often equate a meeting on Sundays with church. And it isn't that. And we all know it, but it's sometimes difficult to figure out what it should be. And that's totally. kind of the, the journey I'm excited to be on. I mean, uh, you know, I'm nearly 70 and I am excited to be venturing out into something brand new, to, to think out of the box, to do something I've never done before. I love and that. that is so exciting to me. It's so, uh, is there's, I have such joy in being willing to and able to follow Christ and do something brand new. So it is brand new. I've not done this before. I started seven or eight, or I don't even know the last, the last right number of churches. This is the first time I'm doing something like this and I'm thrilled. So thanks. So if, if I'm hearing you right, during the pandemic, you've been trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I'm grown up yet, but I'm getting closer to figuring out what I want to be. I love it. I love it. Well, I can and, tell you that and this is for those it, of you who are younger. You think, you know, heck, when I'm older, it's done. It's not done. If you I love to learn and I love to follow Christ into new things. And and he is just leading me and treating me kindly as we go. So it's been a pleasure. I love it. I, I heard this years ago and I, I can't vouch 100 percent for it. But they said that every time the term advanced in age is in the bible the right. best years of that person are in front of them not behind them and i love that wow. yeah that's good i uh, i'll take it uh, then, <laughs> right. I'm advanced. then i admit freely i'm advanced in age <laughs> i'll give you intermediate to advance not quite advanced yet <laughs> well, well thank you i'll take i'll take whatever i can get i'm nice. looking forward to the future let's put it that way there you go well mark you and i have had hours of conversation over the years, including with the business that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we'll often talk about, we have different roots. We're still brothers in Christ. I have like a Baptist background. You have more of a charismatic background. Right. We've talked before in the past about how the different traditions experience the presence of God. And specifically, like in my tribe, we tend to be very skeptical of charismatic gifts Sure. Um, sometimes even the Holy Spirit in general. Um, mm -hmm. My question for you is, what could folks from other traditions, maybe non-charismatic traditions, learn from the more spirit-focused churches and ministries that you've been involved with, and maybe even the way that you practice it yourself? Yeah, thanks, Tim. And, and actually, though, I, I found faith in a Baptist church and graduated from an extremely conservative Baptist Bible college. Yeah, so right. I do have somewhat of those roots, but very early in my experience, before I knew better, he says in quotes, <laughs> I was under the impression that if the scriptures taught it, we can live it. 
Mm. And that's what led me to what we now call a more charismatic experience, because I was reading things in scripture and I didn't realize that Christians would not accept the continuation of those things. And I remember sharing them, my experiences with my Baptist pastor and discovering to my chagrin that he was opposed to those things. And and then my first day in a very conservative Bible college, find out that if literally the president of the college said, if you speak in tongues on this campus, I will bodily throw you off. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? So I come at it from a naivete to be honest, I just didn't realize those were controversial things. I Mm -hmm. saw them in the Bible and believed we were supposed to follow the scriptures. So I I didn't do... What were you thinking, Mark? (laughs) Right? I mean, really? What is wrong with me? Um, And I didn't didn't take that course uh, of, of direction as a step away from something. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't I wasn't trying to get out of something into something else. I, I just was the continuation of my faith in Christ. Uh, and it was the Jesus people days. It was, you know, uh, early 1970, 71. And there was a lot of things going on. And there was a lot of chaos in the in the in the Jesus people movement in those days. And I just came into an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life that transformed me. And in that initial experience uh, of finding the power of God opened up to me, Mm. uh, I also found the ability to speak in tongues. And so when I I know those things are sometimes construed as over emotional Mm -hmm. or just people's soul expressing itself, not necessarily spirit of God expressing himself, but, but that's how I came into it. Mm. And so from a very early age as a believer, I experienced the expectation that God would actively be involved in my everyday life. Now, when I first went to Bible school and found out that Christians didn't believe that and that particular brand of believers that I was with um, didn't, you know, mm-hmm. was opposed to it, I, I had made a, I made a vow that first year of school. And I said, I'm just going to preach Christ. Look, I don't have to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to preach Christ. I'm going to I'm going to uh, preach the gospel. I'm going to share my faith with people. And I don't need to talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to. I don't know the answer to that. Right. I'm not enough of a theologian. I'm just going to preach Christ. That's good. And I, I remember very clearly I was preparing to teach. I was often enlisted to teach at youth campaigns and, and weekends. And I was preparing a series of messages for a youth retreat that I was going to be the guest speaker for. And I remember as I was preparing, I just, uh, I was sharing, uh, thinking about how to call people to follow Christ and to live in uh, as, as committed followers of Christ. And I re- felt like the, the, in my head, so when I say that, I felt like the Lord 
spoke to me. It's not like audible things. And it was just like I, in my head as I was preparing, I had the urge to contemplate a question. Mm-hmm. And in that question, I felt like I was being confronted by God. And the questions were not the exact words. It's been you know, more than five decades since then. So I don't always know. Hmm. But it, it was, do you live what you're preaching, Mark? Mm. And I felt like, yeah, I think I do, Lord. Wow. I mean, I'm not successful, but I live it. He said, how do you live it? Mm. Huh. I said, oh, well, I live it by your power, God. I can't do this on my own. I live it by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Then I felt like the next question was, if you are going to call people to something you can't do without my power, is that right? <laughs> if you don't connect them to my power too? Mm. And that was the turning point for me, Tim. That in my in my mind, I, I, I was maybe 20, 21, maybe not even. But that was the turning point when I realized that my experience of expecting God's power to be relevant to my daily life, not in a passive way, but in an active way, not just by his providence, but by his intervention. Mm. That I expected to live my life that way. I, I owed it to the people I taught and the people I cared about to be honest with them about how I do it. Mm. And so that, that really turned for me. And, and uh, since then, and it was probably 72, 73, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I've never looked back, you know. Wow. Um, uh, and so it, it was at that point for me a very dramatic turn. And That's so, good. Yeah. It, it, it's not optional to me at this point, if you know what I mean. Not totally. Me. And you've yeah. said this and you've modeled it too. Every time you would meet together with folks, this always stuck out to me. Is You, you talked about how often when people get together, they'll immediately start singing or they'll immediately start praying. And I remember one time you are like, Hey, what if we actually stopped and listened for God first before mm-hmm. we start talking to him, before we start responding, before we start singing? Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? That always stood out to me. And to this day, Mark, I do that where we'll uh, be in a meeting and be like, hey, let's just listen to God first. What's yeah. your kind of reasoning there? Yeah. Look, we there are two aspects, I think, to our practicing the presence of God as this podcast is really focused on. And the first is the daily living of normal life in which we want to live that life normally, like when we're washing dishes and changing diapers and uh, talking on the phone and and Zoom conferencing with our uh, our fellow employees and, and every aspect of our life, in every moment of our life, we want to live connected to God. That's right. the presence of God. We want to we want to be able to live our lives connected. Now, I I look, I don't do that well, right? I, I <laughs> there are lots of times when I let my connection with God slip. So so and, we are. Yeah, right? Uh, but but that's the goal of living connected with God. But that's different than what I call prayer time. That when I what we mean by when we come together as God's people and present ourselves to our father, because in my mind, in heart, that moment is a work session. 
Mm. for the people of God. We come to the presence of the Father because we are part of his business. You know, Jesus said it in his entrance to what the Jews considered adulthood. I have to be about my father's business now. Right. We're all about the father's business. And when we come together, I'm not coming together as a pile of individuals. I'm coming together as the family of God, presenting ourselves to our father to say, what do you want to do here? And so the, the time together should begin with a pause to present ourselves to the father, to hear from the nudge of the spirit. And it's not an audible thing, but it's God will place things on individuals' hearts or on a leader's heart or something that will get a sense that the father has a purpose for our being together And if we lay hold of that purpose, we can work in the family business. And so that's my rationale, that when we come together, we're presenting ourselves to our father. Here we are, dad. And I love the dichotomy of like a collection of individuals versus a family. Has that been hard to get that collective family feel especially in American culture, when it's all about me and my personal relationship with Jesus? Yes, I find it incredibly frustrating. American Christianity in particular, we are so individualized that all of our songs are about individuals. All of our times are about individuals. Sermons tend to be preached to us as individuals. Mm -hmm. There's almost no sense of corporate identity, of communal gathering. It's just a convenience of time for individuals to get together and hear the same thing. It's almost like it's an efficiency program rather than uh, a heart program. Right. And I find it incredibly frustrating. It is the single biggest frustration that I have is that we don't feel like we belong to each other. Yeah. And that's where you get this Somewhere along the way, we thought it was about our preferences, what kind of music style we like and what Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, everything we like as opposed to coming together as the body. That's Um, right. No. And and look, it's good to like things like we all have likes and every culture, every generation has its own expression of what it likes. But none of that is the point. Yeah. Now, when I first began following Christ, I was very antagonistic towards older people who sang hymns and you you know had services that were (laughs) very predictable yep but then i realized that it wasn't too long that the charismatic movement had services that were just as predictable they were just different (laughs) yep right we'd sing two hymns everybody would sing in tongues we'd pray out loud all at once and then we'd hear the sermon (laughs) It's the same as a Baptist service, just with a few other pieces in it. Exactly. Well, every church plant was started for exactly that reason. Like, we're going to do it the right way. We're not going to use a formula until you realize six months in, you're doing just a different formula. We're doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. That, you know, that was a shock to me when I 
confronted myself with that because I, it wasn't other people. It was me. Uh, and uh, it was like, oh, my gosh, I have become what I started out to be against. And it's so easy. Yeah. Uh, all of us. Yeah. Well, I, I found it so easy, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and God was gracious and called us. But it's but when we gather, it's not about the music. It's not about the sermon. It's not about the length of time. It's about are we belonging to each other in the presence of our Father? And are presenting ourselves as one family to hear from our Father what He has for us, this family? Because what He has for the family that meets in the building to doors down may be completely different but we are a family and god has called us to be his people and he has given us a task to be a part of his business and all prayer time when we are corporate and even when we're praying for each other when we're sick or when we're when we're struggling we should be pausing to hear what is the father doing right now and how can I pray to support what the Father is doing with this person? And I can imagine when everybody does that together, it's powerful, especially when there's agreement of this is what we believe the Spirit is doing in our midst. True. Amen. Oh, absolutely. And, it, and it, it creates unity. There's nothing that creates unity faster and stronger than a corporate sense that God has called us to something. And yeah, and that make we lend and yield our hearts to that. It's yes. beautiful. Love it. Now I know going back to the thing we were talking about formulas. I know some people love the formula because you know exactly what to expect. It's not, it's not scary. Some listeners might be skeptical to these type of gifts, especially in corporate settings, because of maybe the abuses they've seen. I know. Mark, you and I spent a lot of time in Africa and our friend, Pastor Stephen, I remember him telling us multiple times about how he would have 21, 22 year olds stand up in the middle of church and say, thus saith the Lord, God told me to take 20 of you and go start a church 10 mm -hmm. miles down the road. And yeah. it creates this like, oh, yep, there's God talk again. And there's the abuses. Like, how would you answer that skepticism that says like, okay, I've seen the abuses, therefore we're just going to go in the other direction. Well, I agree with the first part of the sentence. We, mm -hmm. We've seen plenty of abuses. Right. And um, there's no denying that. I think people use that, and please excuse my extreme language, that phony mm -hmm. God talk as an excuse for no accountability. Yep. Uh, as an excuse for to avoid humility and vulnerability. Look, uh, we at best are always going to be a blend of our own thoughts and God's thoughts. Hmm. None of us have the anointing of a scripture writer that we can clearly say with absolute certainty, thus saith the Lord. Hmm. We're all a blend. Some of it is me. Some of it is God. 
when I speak, I want you to chuck out the me part and keep as much of the God part as you can. And believers who are moving in supernatural gifts and they're trying to prophesy and or pray for healing or all the, you know, the things that we do in the gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues or Mm -hmm. prophesying, look, we're learners. We're going to make mistakes. That's why the Bible always says, let one prophesy and let the others pass judgment. You see, when we use those gifts, we're supposed to be judged by those who hear them by leaders with maturity. And that requires us to be able to be, first of all, honest and humble. And second of all, belonging to one another in such a way that we are able to hear someone say, brother, that's just a lot of emotion. Mm. That doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit to me at all. That's good. And, and, And so part of the difficulty that we have is we don't have leaders who stand up and say, yeah, that's not right. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember uh, when I first started pastoring, uh, I became a very good friend with a Baptist pastor in my neighborhood. And he and I became close, close friends. And he said, I would rather be in my Baptist church than in your church. Because what do you do when somebody stands up and says, thus says the Lord. And it's like, I have to leave my wife and find a new soulmate. You know, (laughs) what do you do with that? I, I I don't have that problem in my Baptist church. I said, yeah, well, I could have that problem in mind. You're right. But what it takes is courage to judge the others. And sometimes when you judge people, they hate you mm. and and leave. Yeah. I but can imagine. The, yeah. The congregation needs to be confident that it has the maturity to be able to pass judgment. So all gifts of the spirit should be judged that's good and have this false identity one more thing we have this false idea that when you are speaking in tongues or when you're prophesying or something that it's god making you do something paul says very clearly the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets Mm -hmm. so that when one is speaking and another has a word let them sit down you know, you're, you're not out of control. If you are out of control in your exercise of spiritual giftings, you are not moving in the Holy Spirit. You're moving in either your emotion or very po- also possible. You're moving in an unholy anointing because God, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. God never under the anointing of the Holy Spirit takes over your personality and makes you do something you are not in charge of. Mm, that's good. And that's a false notion that is completely, you know, and we find it funny. Uh, you know, I found myself just saying, and I didn't even want to, but the Lord made me. You know, that, <laughs> that's not true. If, if you didn't want to, and you did, it wasn't the Lord. Right. That's good. Two things you said, I, I noticed. One was humility and courage. And those two often don't, go together we don't think they do but that is so true that spirit of humility that says maybe i don't have it all right i think about one of my favorite theologians as you know is nt Wright, and he says 80 percent of what i say is right the only problem is i don't know which 20 percent is is wrong absolutely that's a good line 
maybe answers my next question too, which is like when I'm not sure if I'm hearing from God or if it's just myself, would you say the right thing to do then is to present that to other people in humility yes. and hear from them? Yes. Uh, how else will we learn? Mm. You know, there comes with that humility a determination to learn. Yep. This is going to sound funny, and I don't mean to tell stories about myself, but when I first <laughs> learned about, you know, God being able to give us pieces of information about other individuals when we were praying for them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I a a woman in my church came up for prayer. And as she walked up to me, I felt as clear as I could, the Holy Spirit said, ask her about her boyfriend. Mm. So I said, okay. So instead of saying, let me talk to me about your boyfriend, I chinsed out and said, do you have a boyfriend? And she said, no. And I was like, Ooh, I felt so (laughs) deflated. And I don't even know what I did after that. I just felt crushed because I thought I heard from God. Mm. And when I went home, I said, God, I thought I heard from you. And if, and as as close to anything I've ever felt you say, if I don't know your voice, then teach me. And I was, I was hurt and crushed, but I said, I'm going to learn to hear the voice of God. And so uh, there it was. And then the next Sunday she came to the meeting and she said, remember what you asked me about your boy, my boyfriend? Mm -hmm. And I said, do I, I felt like saying, do I remember? I've been depressed all week because you said no. Um, She said, well, he's not exactly my boyfriend. He's a guy I've been seeing all the time. And I was like, what what do you call that? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. But it was a wonderful chance for me to learn to trust God, even if I was wrong Mm. in the leading. That's good. Well, you and I have also talked a lot about this before that, even more so now that Christians in our country right now are known for just about everything other than being spirit filled. Yeah. And especially with politics and power right now, especially the last four or five years, my question, when people hear the term either Christian or evangelical, they think more of a voting block now, or maybe a Mm -hmm. demographic. Do you think like, what is it going to take? for Christians in the United States to reclaim some bit of moral authority to begin to like be more for wisdom or our prophetic voice than what we are now? Is it too late? Do we need to blow the whole thing up or are there things that we can begin to do now to help do our part in changing that perception? Yeah. uh, Boy, that boy, Tim, that's a million dollar question. I know. Um, For some parts of the church, I fear the condition is fatal. Mm. Uh, I don't know if certain parts of what we call the church will ever recover from the, from the philosophy of nationalistic church and, and uh, angry response to others who are perceived to be different from us. Right. Um, and I think for some congregations that is going to be fatal that they will be that until jesus returns Uh, and that's a shame and my heart breaks when i think of it but i am absolutely convinced that's the reality for some Mm -hmm. for others i think we have to um, not be so much against the one 
as for something else. Mm. I think we, like I, I oftentimes find myself apologizing for Christianity when I talk to non-believers or yep. to new people, or I say, "Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, but not like what you're thinking." <laughs> yeah, not what you, you know? think. Yeah, you know, uh, and that's a shame. And I, I, I have to try to stop that, right? And be, be what I am for, not what I am not for. And you know, I think that we. If the church renews its humility, its ability to love and and accept people who disagree with us and who may not change, Hmm. that's the thing. We have tended to accept people who disagree because we were hoping to change them. And I think that there's a, a crucifixion of our own hopes, a death of our own perspective of ourselves that needs to say, look, you may never change. That's, I'm not asking you to. I am called to love and serve you. That's what I'm called to do by my master. Uh, and if we in humility and love and are able to, accept and forgive and love others, others who are different. And we can acknowledge our differences, Mm -hmm. but we can find ground to walk together. I think we have a hope. I think that authority, moral authority, Mm -hmm. comes after our death of our of our perspective, right? It, Jesus was walked in authority here on earth, but after his resurrection, he was granted all authority. Mm. And I think that we can inherit his authority, but it's going to be because we are sharing in the likeness of his death and his, in the likeness of his putting off of ourselves, of our emptying our own ways and our own dreams and our own goals and our own perspectives and being willing to take on the form of a servant and if we can follow our master in that course of action, I think we have an opportunity in whatever re- the resurrection of our hope looks like mm-hmm. in, in having that kind of moral authority. But I think it, it can't come to us in our present condition without a serious crucifixion of our own ways. Totally know? agree. And I think part of the danger right now is that it, it's – the culture wars are so seductive. Mm-hmm. Like we want to get involved in them. We want to state this is our position in them. I went down to the um, SBC convention down in Nashville, Nashville this year. And there were people wearing stop CRT sh- shirts, you know, right, the right, theory. Yeah. and yeah. this, that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, yeah. my point is they were more concerned about whatever the culture war was than dying to themselves or listening to the other. And so it is very seductive. Go that direction. It's easier yeah. too than to die to ourselves and follow Jesus, I would say. Yeah, so. Jesus didn't come to make America great. <laughs> what? Tell well, me more. Yeah, you know, he, that's not why he came. He came to win a, a lost humanity and present that humanity as a gift to his father in, in, in the second coming. Mm-hmm. And whether America survives or is or not is ir- 
not quite irrelevant, but ultimately irrelevant to the goal. Right. Jesus didn't come to make Americans comfortable. He didn't come to protect our way of life. He didn't come to protect protect our culture. He didn't come to make America a special country. He came to be the son of the father, crowned with glory and honor above all else. Mm. And and we have, you know, that's true for us as true for any other country. That that looks so different than the way our uh, than the way our Christianity tends to uh, play out these days, doesn't it? No, I think you're right, Tim, and I think that's a shame. It is. It is, yeah, and it's, it's not. We're not. We're not immune to it ourselves. It's just so easy to get caught up in it. And I find myself when I'm on social media too much, getting caught up in it myself, and I have to kind yeah. of take a step back and be like, wait, that's not the main main thing. That's right. So, it isn't, and we have to make sure that we keep that straight. Absolutely. Mark, last question. So for you personally, we've talked a lot about the presence of God in corporate settings and what it means to be, you know, have moral authority. For you personally, though, what is bringing you life these days as you have like daily spend time with God in prayer? Is there any like spiritual discipline that really brings you more life than others? Yeah, Tim, it's a practice I developed a long time ago. and I call it my thinking chair. Hmm. Um, I have a physical chair, and it's changed over the years because my furniture has changed, right? But I have a physical (laughs) chair uh, where I just can sit down and relax in the presence of God. I Hmm. I don't try to do work there. It's, you know, I just want to come and think. And I think my thoughts conscious of my connectedness to the father. And sometimes I, I read scripture. Sometimes I read another book. Sometimes I just sit and think. Sometimes I sing in worship. Sometimes I just, I have particular people that I'm praying for. Uh, but when I'm praying for a person, I will spend just as much time thinking about them as I do actually making petition for them so that I feel like I'm allowing my father to to fill my mind with his or my perception of his purpose mm-hmm. in these situations. Cause again, I could be wrong. I'm going to, my flesh is involved, right? right. I don't ever want to deny that, but at the same point, it's, it's a cleansing thing for me. It's relaxing. And when I, when I, I don't, I don't like to be too religious. Say I was praying for you today. So I tend, I tend to say, just say, I was thinking about you today. And and what I mean is I I was sitting with my father and, and you came to mind and I just, my, my father and I just thought about you. Uh, and I still do that, Tim. Uh, it's still something that I love. Now, th- to be honest, sometimes life creeps in. Uh, I sure. found myself during this COVID crisis and my business collapsing. I found myself a little depressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that short-sheeted some of my thoughts. I was more in survival mode than, yep. than I wanted to be during this pandemic. And, and that was frustrating. And, uh, and so I lost some of that energy yep. that... I got back from my thinking chair, but it's still my thinking chair that I go to. And when I talk to some of my, the people that I work with, I said, find a thinking chair, just find a thinking chair. There's a place to come and sit and 
let let your thoughts go where they will, but go with them, with the Father. And I love that. that. Yeah. And by the way, that's a great name for this podcast episode, The Thinking Chair. I think that's going to stick. Well, good. Keep it, because it's been a beautiful blessing for me. I can still remember the three or four of them I've had over the last 50 uh, years. Uh, so... Mm. I they they don't change quickly because I don't get rid of furniture that easy. But, uh, <laughs> but when they do, I, I have mine now, and I've even done some podcasts sitting in my thinking chair. I love so, that. Um, you know, it's just something that I find really refreshing with the father. Yeah. Well, I think that your experience of the pandemic, although unique, is similar in that, like, I think a lot of us are shell shocked from the pandemic. Yeah. We're hurting sometimes some of our relationships with god are hurting but certainly our friendships and relationships with others have taken a hit and mm-hmm. so as you're talking i'm sitting there going we should all spend more time in the thinking chair yeah. allowing ourselves to get reconnected with god so we can reconnect with with other people yeah uh, it's it's irreplaceable for me tim love it Mark, thank you so much. This is so so full of meat and exactly what I knew we'd get from you. So thank you so much well, for your wisdom and sharing um, this time with us today. Well, thank you for this opportunity. I was really looking forward to it, Tim. So yep. blessings to you and to all your listeners. And trust that God's presence will be clearer in their day-to-day life as a result of these conversations. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, my friend. Enjoy vacation with your family. Okay, you do the same. I will. And let's get together when we get back. Sounds good, Tim. All right. Thanks so much, Mark. Right up. Take care. Bye-bye.